Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. As I mentioned in last week's episode, or I think I mentioned it at least, um, May is pretty much my favorite month ever. And so far, let me tell you what, May has seriously delivered. It's been going great in She Built This Land and in the freelance content writing world. Um, The very first day of May, I feel like that's what kicked it all off because it was glorious. It was sunny. It was relaxing. I sat outside in the sunshine and read an entire book start to finish. Um, Actually, one that you should get your hands on. It was written by a former podcast guest of mine, Julie Brown, and it's called This Shit Works. And I actually went to her keynote in Boston at the end of April. I was super excited to read more of what she had to say, and I devoured it all in one sitting. Well, one and a half sittings. Um, But it's all about relationship building and networking tips that are like out of the box and also available for anyone, whether you're introvert, extrovert, doing it virtually or going in person. So anyway, it was a great read. Highly recommend. As I was sitting there soaking up the sunshine and just in general, like disconnecting from all of the tasks that I had to do. Um, I'm just, I just needed a break from things like pulling on my time and attention. So I was sitting there and I was really reflecting on the month of April as I was kind of like planning and thinking about what the month of May would hold. I will say April was a tad insane. It wasn't peaceful and serene, which is how I like my life to be. It was just kind of chaotic. And it was okay chaos. But it started out with uh, a challenging dance, let's say, outside my comfort zone. And it ended with a giant leap outside of my comfort zone, peppered with lots of exits uh, from the comfort zone along the way. So I came out of the month uh, feeling challenged. I, I felt challenged with clients, which maybe I'll tell you about sometime, challenged by myself. And just overall, like it wasn't smooth sailing, though it was great learning. Um, and it was all good experiences, things that I'm glad I had, things that I'm glad I went through. I'm not going to spend a lot of time dwelling on that, but here's the thing that I realized at the end of it. It definitely provided me with a lot of good information and a lot of good data about myself. Like sometimes leaving the comfort zone, you got to do it, right? And it ends up better than expected. And then also sometimes it ends up way worse. So I think it was just interesting to notice what those things were that ended up leaving me drained rather than filled and uh, giving me a lot of information about the things that just like really truly I don't like uh, and downright irritate me or were an encroachment of my boundaries, which I've been working really, really hard on for the past two years. So I did not, I wasn't, I don't think I was ready for uh, that. But anyway, I sat in the sunshine, taking stock, reading a book, um, Julie Brown's book, and then I read another just for fun. And I started to feel really like nourished and recharged and energized and 
really, really grateful for the lessons that I learned and the steps that I did take in April. Um, As painful as some of them were, I felt really ready to face this month, May, with more clarity on what I was going for and why. And that's how I I need that clarity in my vision so that I can establish those appropriate filters. And this month in line with the theme of the podcast, I'm focusing on the things that nourish me. So that's kind of like my filter. My question to myself is like, is this going to make me feel, let's say five years younger, or is this going to make me feel five years older? And that's sort of how I'm uh, figuring out what things I want to take on, what things I want to do, how much water I want to be drinking, et cetera, et cetera. Now, last week on the podcast, you heard my guest Terry Hamilton talk about making mindfulness and gratitude practices more simple and easier to fit into our everyday. Well, today we are going to hear a totally different perspective. You are going to hear about a resentment practice, which probably to you sounds the opposite of gratitude, but my guest is going to show you how when you're not feeling nourished and restored, when in fact you are depleted and burned out, and honestly, even during times when you're just exhausted and feeling misaligned or that you've said yes to way too many things that do not fill your cup, it might be really hard to start from a place of gratitude. You might actually instead need to start from a place of resentment. And she's going to talk to us and show us how learning um, the practice of resentment can actually be the starting point to overcoming burnout. And I'd venture to say that it can help you make some really positive changes uh, no matter where you are in this journey. So before I introduce my guest, I want to take a quick second to thank this week's reviewer, Trevor Oldham, who says She Built This is his new favorite podcast. I thank you so much, Trevor. I invite you to leave me a review too on Apple Podcasts because your reviews are how I build this podcast and reach more hearts and ears. One more quick, quick second to say, if this is your first time joining me here, welcome here, welcome aboard. For those of you who don't know, my name is Emily Aborn, and I'm the owner and founder of She Built This. If you don't know what She Built This is, it's a community of women entrepreneurs who are positive, excited by growth, and jet set on attaining abundance, freedom, and success, which if you're listening, that probably describes you in a nutshell. I'm also a freelance content writer, and I love helping entrepreneurs bring their messages and ideas to life with the words that really help to connect them to their ideal clients and the words that their ideal clients are using too. If you want to learn more, I invite you to check out the shebuiltthis.org website where you will find everything you need to know about what we're doing, all the events coming up for women entrepreneurs and professionals, both locally and virtually. And as I always like to say, without further ado, let's introduce today's guest. She is awesome. I first heard Kate Donovan on Deanna Seymour's podcast, and I had a friend at the time who was dealing with burnout, so I actually started listening like with the intention of being able to help her and possibly share the podcast with her. Kate's podcast, Fried the Burnout Podcast, is great for when you're already dealing with burnout, when you're first starting to feel the flames of it threatening to burn you, or if you really just want to learn tools to help your frazzled, dazzled nervous system 
and in my opinion, just help you to live a more nourished and balanced life as a human being. I have not heard a single episode yet where I haven't found something really helpful and gotten something really valuable out of it. And so I just cannot recommend her podcast, Fried the Burnout Podcast, enough. Kate Donovan is a keynote speaker, one of New York's leading burnout experts, host of Fried the Burnout Podcast, as I said, and the author of the book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor. Her creative burnout recovery solutions have been featured on podcasts and online magazines such as Forbes, NPR, Thrive Global, and the New York Post. Kate and her husband spent 12 years, spent 12 years living in Europe, but now they make their home in New Jersey. And when Kate's not speaking or coaching on burnout, you can find her with her husband and pup outside hiking, rowing, golfing, or cross-country skiing. In this episode, we are going to talk all about burnout, um, how Kate realized she was burned out in the first place, what burnout feels like, what the signs are, but equally as important, what the signs are not. Uh, whether or not you need to quit your job or close your business if you are burned out, why being positive and happy isn't the way out, what to do if you just totally are one of these people that suck at relaxing and self-care, and of course, way more. I hope whether you are sitting in a cozy, cozy place in the sun, painting ceilings, walking with your dog, driving to a networking event, or sitting at the waiting room at the car dealership while your vehicle gets an oil change, with headphones in, of course. I hope that no matter what you're doing as you listen, you love this conversation and my guest as much as I did. Hi, Kate, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Hi, Emily. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. Um, and I know we're talking about like kind of a not exciting topic. What do you but, mean? Well, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's okay. Let me reframe. Not that it's not exciting. It's a little sad, I will say, or maybe heavy for some, but we are going to show them the light and that there is hope. Agreed. And one of the things that on my speaker website, it says like, if you want to talk about burnout without bumming people out, I'm your gal. There is, we don't need to bum people out for this conversation. There's so much goodness to be had here. Perfect. So let's start by uh, talking about like how you got into helping people with burnout. Like I imagine that it is a result of you having a burnout story of your own. You're such a good guesser. Well, I also listen to your podcast religiously, so (laughs) (laughs) there's that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I followed my heart big time, and I did everything that I always wanted to do. I met somebody and followed him to a foreign country to get married. I left a pre-med program to become an acupuncturist. I built an entrepreneurial practice, like, with acupuncture in a foreign country and was very successful. Like, I did all the things that would lead someone to believe on paper that I was totally crushing it, which I was financially, that I was totally crushing it and that I felt really good about everything that I did. And I got to a point where I looked down at the piece of paper and I said, I am checking off all of the things. Why do I feel so terrible? Mm. I hate it up here. Why do I hate it up here? And it took me, if I'm like really honest, anywhere from five to seven years. I've, I've never really pinpointed the exact length of time, but it took me, you know, half a decade at least to stop and be like, oh, this is burnout. 
And I haven't done any of the things that are actually going to change this. And then when I went to find help on how you change it, I was extremely disappointed because I was met with two different facts. One of them is that all of the information that's out there is about how to prevent burnout. Like, too late for that. Sorry. The other thing was that all of the information in the research was about hospital workers and corporate workers. And I was like, I'm a female entrepreneur. I'm following my dreams. I'm doing the thing. <laughs> yeah. And no, there's no micromanaging here. There's no one controlling my hours. There's no one controlling how I speak to people or what kind of paperwork I have to fill out or any of those things. There's no lack of fairness in my workplace because somebody else is making more money than me because they have a different body part. So what did you do from there? Honestly, I got a coach and a therapist because I was like, something's not right here. I'm already a stress management expert. I know all the prevention techniques, but I got here. Those things aren't working and I don't know what to do. So I went out and I got help. And I think this is, oh, there's so many coaches out there and this really gets my goat that are like, I figured it out by myself and now I want to help you do it faster. Like, I don't know too many people who figured out burnout really if they're really honest by themselves, because your brain is so offline that you don't have the creativity or the ability to find the solutions that you need without assistance. Oh, so I definitely want to get into those in a minute. Um, yeah. And great impersonation, by the way. But <laughs> I would love for you to describe kind of what that terrible, if you can put yourself back in that mm -hmm. time, uh, what does that terrible feel like? Like what does burnout feel like? So one of the biggest signs for me was that I hated people. I always considered myself an extrovert. It turns out that I am definitely an ambivert and I need a lot of time by myself. I didn't know that. And so I was real mad at all the people all the time. I was mad at patients for needing me. I was mad at friends for asking me to lunch because like, didn't they know how busy I was? I was really resentful in all of my relationships because I failed to see how people were helping me or supporting me and only looking at how I was helping them and supporting them. So there, that was a lot of it, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. In addition, physically, I was a wreck. I was absolutely exhausted. At the time, I was living in Prague and we had a four-minute walk up a hill from the tram to our apartment and I would finish a six-hour shift with acupuncture. So I wasn't working eight or nine hours a day. It's not like I was seeing 900 patients. Like I was working a normal, doable shift. And you're not like heavy lifting. You're I'm just not heavy lifting. taking very this small needles. Is, yeah. Like, I, you know, this is not a physically demanding job. And I would get off the tram on my way back from work and it would be, you know, one, two o'clock in the afternoon. I would start my way up the hill and I would have to take a break on someone's stoop halfway up. Wow. It's a four minute walk. I couldn't do it. And I would sit there and bring myself to tears thinking about the fact that I had to get into my apartment and then take my dog for a walk. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. Did you have like a, okay, the straw that broke the camel's back moment? And, and do you remember what that moment was? I didn't have a straw that broke the camel's back moment. I would have kept going to be honest, had I not, I just came across an article one day and it was explaining burnout. And I had not, instead of a straw that broke the camel's back moment, I had 
what Oprah refers to as an aha moment. I have to say Oprah because she's trademarked that and we don't want to get in trouble. But I did have an aha moment. I had to like a, like a come to Jesus moment. I'm not religious, but I had a come to Jesus moment that I was like, oh, this is what's happening. And now that I've put a name on it, I can figure out what to do with it. But mm -hmm. I, I didn't for the longest time. I just didn't know what was happening. I had never heard of burnout before that. Now it's like super popular, right? But we're talking like 2015, 2016, like people weren't talking about it. What are some other signs, maybe not ones specific to you, but other signs that you see people coming with, but I think equally important is what are not the signs? Like what are things that are not an indication that you're burned out? You're probably just tired or, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> overwhelmed. If you're, if you're tired at the end of the week and you can take the weekend and you can go back on Monday refreshed, it's not burnout. The fatigue that goes with burnout goes much beyond like taking an afternoon off or taking the weekend off. If you're able to recover, it's not burnout. Burnout is has this sense of being unable to regenerate yourself. So no matter it does it feels like no matter how much you rest, no matter how much you sleep, no matter what you do, you just don't actually feel better. And that's to me like a hallmark that people really need to be aware of. Mm -hmm. Having one negative day over a month is not burnout, but having an overall inability to be positive and or feel joy or gratitude is related to burnout. So if you are naturally, if you always considered yourself basically an optimistic person and you just cannot see the rainbows right now, like you just can't, and you've been trying for months and doesn't even matter. Even when you know something good happened, you can't, you don't feel it. You don't think it. And you're focused on the downside of it, even if you have to make one up. Because <laughs> we do that sometimes, you know, that's burnout. So do you see more, do you see more women who are prone to burnout? Um, and do you tend, I guess, do you tend to work more with women or men or, or both? I tend to work primarily with women and I think women are getting to the point where they are admitting burnout more than men. But I am not convinced that, according to the research, women are burning out more than men. I'll say it like that. Yep. But the research shows that about 70% of women are burning out regularly right now. And men are at like 64. <laughs> so, so the difference is not that big. And I think that we've created a lot of space for women to talk about burnout. Um, justifiably so. We need that. And we have not created almost any space for men to talk about burnout because we are still stuck as much as we're trying to like break down the patriarchy that we've all sort of inhaled from the world around us. Part of that patriarchy is that like men are stronger and can handle stuff better. And so we are ignoring men, I think, to a large degree right now in this space. And I, I think it's... Um, not doing anyone any benefit. You know, I hear that with She Built This a lot too. Like men will say to me that they wish a community of that depth yeah. existed for them. Yeah. And so um, I, I agree with your points. Like, are we destroying something? Are, are we throwing the baby out with the bathwater yeah. in this case for yeah. men? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I think that's a problem. I do work with a, two men that focus on different groups of men. So I have one like sort of blue collar burnout coach who is so excellent. His name is Joe Perone. And then Jim Young, who's been on 
fried on my podcast who does a lot of like white collar men and both of them talk about the pressure of being the financial earner and the like cultural expectations of being the person that creates a sense of safety and stability for the family when it comes to not emotional stability necessarily, but, but physical and financial stability and how much that pressure really like weighs on them. So I'm curious to know what your, so you worked with the coach and the therapist and like what, um, What did you do about your business? Like, how did that sort of impact everything with your business at that time? From a financially privileged position, let's acknowledge that to start. First of all, I had a husband that was working full time. And second of all, I was making more money than I needed at the time. I cut down my hours and took a full day a week off of work. So I continued to work while I was recovering, but I did work less. Okay. And I was able to do that. Do you think people need to quit their job or close their business to not be burned out? I think that is a, well, if you say no, (laughs) then that is a myth that we have. Like, okay, I just need to burn the whole ship down. Yeah, no, I don't think we have to burn the whole ship down. I don't even recommend that people quit things right away unless unless we know for sure that whatever culture that they're in is absolutely toxic if they're if we're talking about a workplace. So if someone is being exploited and they are at the receiving end of racism, homophobism, sexism, ageism and they're never going to get out of it and they're just being exploited. I don't care how much internal work you do, you're never going to fight against a system that has been designed to crush you. Right. Like that's that's not okay. So we need to get you out of that situation because in order to recover from burnout, one of the things that's most necessary is safety. And if you are not safe in your workplace, then we do need to get you out. However, that's not how we start coaching. We start with saying, okay, what's going on internal? What's going on external? What can we do internally to buffer the external stuff so that you can get some energy? And then we look and say, okay, is this external stuff stuff that you can have an influence on? Can you have a conversation with a boss? Will it actually change anything? And we try. And sometimes it changes everything. I have a client now who finally spoke up and didn't change the system only for himself, but for his entire workplace. Can you give some examples of what you see as cause for burnout? Um, Because we talked about some of the signs, but like at the root of it, what are you seeing as the primary causes? There's a big list of these. So I don't, in burnout, I do not believe in um, a number one root cause, although I do think that the biggest risks are people that have high ACE scores, so high um, childhood trauma scores. Mm -hmm. And the resulting feelings of unworthiness that come with that. So being in a position where you feel like you need to prove yourself and prove your value through work is something that is really detrimental to burnout on a long-term basis. So that's an internal cause and something that I think is involved in most situations for most people. Never, it's never all, everyone is different, but the external reasons for burnout that have been studied, this is not my research. This is a researcher called Christina Maslach and uh, the team of people that she's done research with since the year I was born. She's been doing this for a long, long time. So the things that she talks about as being the reasons in a workplace are unmanageable workloads, that, and that includes some sort of like micromanagement, 
lack of fairness in the workplace. So we're talking about pay gaps and overworking some people, underworking others, favoritism, things like this. Mismatch of values between, and this can be in two different places, either between the worker and the company that they work for, because you can't meet your needs if the company doesn't share your values, at least to some degree, or between the company's stated values and values in action. So you have a company like Deloitte who has an amazing um, chief people officer who really focuses on helping people to avoid burnout. But half of my clients have been from Deloitte because their actual working culture does not support anything. You know, so there's this sort of disconnect between what they're trying to do. And I, I maybe shouldn't call them out online, but I'm going to. So we're in this place where their values say that they are here to support you, but the actual working environment doesn't support that. So there's a values mismatch there. Another thing is lack of community. So if you don't feel, which includes psychological safety, if you don't feel like you can fail and not lose your job, if you're not taught that you can speak up and be wrong and that's okay, if you're not taught that your voice is valuable and heard, that's going to be a problem and that's going to lead to burnout in the workplace. So there's a bunch of factors that come into it. So this is like, you know, I think we just think, oh, I'm working too hard or I'm, you know, I'm burning the candle on both ends and that's the cause. So I love highlighting some of these, like it is internal and external and it can also, it sounds to me like it can be like a lot of compounding things. It is a lot of compounding things. And that's why I shudder when I see people that are not health professionals that have entered the burnout coaching world that say, we just need to get to the root of your burnout problem. And I'm like, bish, there is no root. There's a lot of roots. There's a lot of, like, this is a whole tree. Yeah, yeah. Which is a acupunctural metaphor, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so how long, like, be honest with us, yeah. how long did recovery take you? How long have you seen recovery take people? It took me two years to get to a point where I no longer feared burnout. So I was feeling good somewhere between 12 and 18 months and 12 to 18 months is the recovery time that I see most frequently. I work with people on three month basis and then sort of let them put all of those things into practice and they can do one-off calls with me after that should they get stuck along the way. So I don't believe you need to sort of work with someone consistently for 18 months, but you there is a kickstart kind of Mm -hmm. option. And then it takes about 12 to 18 months to put things into practice to really go through those internal and external causes, really be honest with yourself about what's happening in your world. So it took me about two years um, to get to really get to the point where I didn't have fear of burnout anymore, that I knew that as I I think burnout recovery is a lot like um, addiction recovery. And I think that there's a similar pathway neurologically for it. I think our reward reward pathways are similar to addicts. So I think that there's this idea that we kind of always have to be on guard later in life. And I am still on guard, Mm. but I'm not fearful of it at this point. I don't think it's going to overtake me and I don't think it's stronger than me. I think I have enough coping mechanisms. I think I have enough red flag awareness. I think I have enough trust in myself to step up when I see it happening and say, oh, it's time to roll back. Okay. So that brings me to a question. Is there this sort of being on the verge of burnout? And if so, 
is there a way to kind of like notice it and start healing it before it happens? I think when you think you're on the verge of burnout, you're already there. I guess what are your, like for people that are like, oh my God, I definitely do not want to be there. (laughs) What are your prevention? Like what are your tools that you say, here's just like three simple things to start preventing this from happening? So I'm going to go against the grain here as, as I tend to do and say, I don't really do prevention because I think that by the time you're looking into prevention, you're already at that edge and you already actually need recovery. And the tools for prevention and recovery are different. So if you're looking for prevention, you can go to any of the typical stress management tools. You can use a gratitude journal. You Mm -hmm. can exercise, move your body at least 30 minutes a day. You can, um, start meditating. You can use breathing exercises. You can like, there's so many things that we all already know, like improve your diet so that your gut bacteria is healthier so that your mood is better. Like there's so many things that we can do that we already know about. Take care of yourself is burnout prevention. That doesn't mean that if you take care of yourself, you're going to avoid burnout hundred percent. Like I think that people think that they have a lot more control over burning out, but like we said, sometimes it's this ex- these external factors and you don't realize it. So you're doing as much as you can to take care of yourself. But when you're being beat down from the outside, there's only so much recovery you can get in from day to day through self-care practices. Like, you know, so I, I think that burnout is like an illness like any other. Right now, it's labeled, according to the World Health Organization, as an occupational hazard. And I think that that's crap. And I think that it's an illness like any other. Like you can live a very healthy lifestyle and still end up with cancer. You can do plenty of self-care and still end up in burnout. So I don't like to focus on that prevention side necessarily because it's just the same things as for anything else. Take not, take care not of yourself, to, you know? Yeah, exactly. And not to mention like figuring out the right diet, figuring out how to yeah, help yourself get lot. better sleep, figuring out how many times per week you should exercise. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. And it, it is. is a lot. So yeah. like adding that on to somebody that is already burned out, right. it I could just imagine that being just another one of those compounding factors. Right, right. And so then when you get to the recovery portion, things like gratitude journals aren't going to work. That's why I have a resentment journal course because you need to, and I'm so serious about this, when your brain is in the space that it's in when you're burnt out, you are not going to be able to feel gratitude in your whole body the way that you need to in order for it to have a positive effect on you. So you know those moments, we've all had them, where you just stop and you notice that the sunset is beautiful and your whole body just like relaxes a little bit and you're just like, wow. That's a moment of gratitude and appreciation. When you're burnt out, it doesn't happen. And so trying to force it to happen by writing down three things that you're grateful for every day is just adding to your hamster wheel of stuff that you think that you have to do that's not actually getting you where you need to go. This brings me to a perfect question. And also, I had one of those moments with my sweet little dog Aww. on Saturday. Um, but w- this brings me to a question which you've talked about recently on your podcast, and it's about positivity actually being like toxic yeah. when somebody is burned out. And so like, you know, you can't just overcome burnout, basically, like you said, by being happy and writing in the gratitude journal. So yeah. let's talk about that po- uh, toxic 
positivity. So this is something that actually came up today because a friend of mine wrote that she's like really struggling and she just wanted to be real about it for a moment. And the first comment on her page was like, you've got this. (laughs) That's my least favorite. And I was like, boo from the crowd because (laughs) that's not helpful right now. That's not helpful right now. We're not, we don't, we know that we can get through hard things. We know that already. But what we need people to acknowledge is that the past couple of years, especially, have been real, real hard for almost everyone for different reasons. We don't need to judge who had it harder and who had it easier or any of that. But it has been hard to be in this nonstop uncertainty. And now we have other stuff going on that makes it just it's just been heavy. It's been a really heavy two years. It's been a really heavy two years. So why don't we just say, okay, we'll hold you for a minute. You just collapse. That's okay. I think that is one of the biggest gifts that you can give to anybody that is sharing something uh, that is hard or painful with, you know, like that is the biggest gift. And because I agree with you when somebody's just like, you got this. I'm like, yeah, no, duh. (laughs) Of course I've got it. (laughs) Yeah. But just allowing, allowing them to feel and to express what they're feeling and hold space for them is such a gift. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. This question is probably going to, I'm sure you're going to say, oh, I have, I have another thought about that, but I shouldn't put words in your mouth. Um, (laughs) What do you recommend for people who are just like, oh my God, I just suck at relaxing. I just can't relax. I don't know what I like to do for fun. I don't know how, like, is, is that kind of a conversation that comes up a lot with people that you work with? Almost consistently. Almost every single person that I work with and, you know, 700 plus people in the Facebook group for the podcast are talking about this on a regular basis. I mean, I think even as a person, like I I will admit I am not burned out, um, but even as a person that is just like, I love work so much. So what do I do when I'm not working? Like, how do I really want to relax? Yeah. And I think the, the problem with that is when you spend, this is a nervous system issue because when you spend so much time in a hyperactive nervous system and you're so over-engaged and being productive and you're pushing yourself to be on edge all the time and you're using up that adrenaline and you just create a habit of being in that place. So learning to relax is literally just a practice. You, you just have to practice. And in the beginning, the only way I could relax was with yoga nidra meditations, like body scan mm-hmm. meditations that were less than 10 minutes long, where somebody was like, you know, at the end of yoga, when you lay down in Shavasana and corpse pose, and they're like, yeah, so relax your jaw and like let your eyeballs fall into your skull and whatever the hell else they say, you know, that's the same as yoga nidra. And when somebody was telling me from the outside, okay, now relax your, your shoulders and now release the tension in your neck and now let go of the tension around your solar plexus. Like I could listen to them and be like, oh, okay, like I will follow the directions. But I didn't know how tense my body was until I laid down and did it every day. I didn't know what the difference was. So you do have to sort of retrain your nervous system over time to be comfortable in a resting state which a lot of us are just simply not comfortable in. And we only get comfortable with it by practicing. It's like riding a bike. Like you have to do it over and over and over again until your body says, oh, I know what this is. I know how to get here. If I start yoga nidra now, 
within 60 seconds, my body is done. I'm like, I'm in that other phase. But in the beginning, I'd listen to a whole 10 minutes and it would be the last 30 seconds that I was like, oh my God, sweet relief. Wow. (laughs) I need to bring that back because that is a tool that I forget to use and it is such a good way to help your entire body relax. Yes. And it does help your brain to recover from burnout. So it, there are particular things that are happening in your brain when you're burnt out or after a period of long-term chronic stress that yoga nidra is one of the only tools that actually helps it recover. Okay, what's the role of – okay, so I would imagine that if you are burned out, it's going to be hard to find pleasure and fun and yeah. joy in what you're doing. But you got to have pleasure and fun. And so how do we kind of like bring some of those things back in? resentment. (laughs) So, so we start, I I don't think that we bring those things in right away. I think that we dive into the hard stuff, deal with it, bring ourselves back to neutral, and Mm -hmm. then focus on adding pleasure and fun. If you can't be the recipient of pleasure, then forcing pleasure and fun is not actually going to get you anywhere. So we always start with this sort of resentment. Resentment shows you where all your boundaries have been crossed and it shows you what you need to do in order to recreate the life that you want. I use resentment still every single day as I build my business and shift what I'm offering because it helps me notice, oh, this is not what you want to be doing anymore. Your energy wants to be more over here. You're not feeling generous here. You're feeling resentful. That means you don't want to give in this way anymore. Anymore, so shift it to this, right? So we use this to get back to neutral first. I need to know more about this resentment journal. Like what is involved? Because <laughs> this is going to need to be a new practice. <laughs> the resentment journal is an online mini course that's on my website that I designed because I was so sick of seeing people offer gratitude journals for burnout that just don't work. And so I said, well, we need to use resentment. And people were like, well, we don't know how. And I was like, well, hire me to be your coach. And then I was like, wait a second. We can actually break this down into very simple steps of how you start by first admitting that you feel it, right? Mm -hmm. Resentment is that moment when you get an email in your inbox from that one person who always asks you for a favor. And as soon as you see her name, your whole body is like, again, you, the hell do you want this time? Don't I do enough for you? That's resentment, right? So when you have those moments in your world, first you have to admit them and then you have to start noticing them. Nothing changes without that. So we start and we start writing things down. Take, print out your resentment journal or you can use it on your computer. It's, it's a fill-inable PDF and you start writing down things that you're resentful about. After a period of, you can, some people fill it out within an hour and they're like, I got all sorts of things to write in here. Some people do it over the course of a week or two, just like noticing and paying attention. Either way is fine. I don't care how you do it. And then you burn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Then you look for patterns. You look for people that are repeating really often. So recently a client of mine realized that she needed to fire an employee because 78% of her resentments were toward this employee. Right. Good. Now we know that. Exactly. I love data. Yeah. It's really important data. So we look for patterns in the resentment. We look for people. We look for things, actual like tools that we use. So you can be really resentful that your eggs stick to your pan every morning. Get a new damn pan. But a lot of times we're just dealing with this stuff on a day-to-day basis and we're not paying attention because we're like supposed to be positive. 
You're like, I'm lucky I have a pan at all. Like, go go get a new pan. <laughs> actual truth. Actual, actual <laughs> truth here. Like, this is the tea, right? So this is what's happening. So start paying attention. So you can be, you can have a pattern around a person. You can have a pattern around a thing or a tool, a, a, an online tool, a physical tool, any of those things. You can have a pattern toward your own behavior in certain situations that you notice that you're feeling really resentful around all these projects that you volunteered to do that literally no one asked you for help with. Like, okay, that's something to look at. Let's notice that pattern. So you start to notice the patterns and then you can choose based on who you are, how you function. Do you want to tackle the easiest thing first or the hardest thing first? Do you want to make the biggest impact right away and buy yourself some energy? Or do you need to dip a toe into the water because you're like a little bit nervous and you don't have the energy to tackle the big thing? Again, either way, doesn't matter. Choose a thing. Then you take that thing through a series of questions. The first question is, does this thing even need to be done? Sometimes we're resentful about an action that's happening that nobody actually needs to do. It's not adding to your business. It's not adding to your company. It's not, for whatever reason, you're still doing it, probably because you decided to do it eight months ago and you just never stopped, right? So you look at that and if it doesn't need to be done, you just cross it off your list and you're done. We move on. If it does need to be done, the next question becomes, am I the person that needs to do it? Can this be outsourced to either software or a person? And if it can be outsourced, who can do it? Or what can do it? And how can I implement that as soon as possible? Right? Okay, cool. If it is something that needs to be done and you need to be the person to do it, the next question is, is there a tool, utensil, or software that could make this easier for me that's within my budget? So is there something that I can afford that will make this easier? So if you're... What, going into your kitchen every morning to drink your coffee and your coffee is like a ritual time for you and you hate 78% of the mugs that you have. Throw them out. Buy mugs that you love. Have that moment and enjoy it. These these kinds of things, like can you upgrade the tool? One of the things that I noticed in my own recovery was that I really get angry. <laughs> this is silly, but it's true. I really get angry when my knife isn't sharp enough to slice through a tomato easily. The worst. It's, it's the, worst. the worst. And then you have to tip the knife like to the, so that the tip is down, right? And you have to poke through the skin so that you can make that initial slit so that you can slice your tomato. Correct? Everybody's yes. done this. So yes. sharpen your knife. I just bleeped myself. <laughs> right? But sharpen the knife. Get the knife sharpened. This will cost you almost nothing if you have a sharpener. My husband is going to, he has a bread knife that he just like hates. And he's like, why do we have such a terrible bread knife? It doesn't cut it, you know, in Emily, the right direction. Emily, can I send you a new bread knife? Like, <laughs> let's solve this problem together. We literally just need to pick a new bread knife. Pick a new bread knife. <laughs> Stop it. This is the kind of stuff that like we're wasting so much time on. So if you can afford to implement a system, a tool, or even in a software that's going to help make this thing easier, implement it. And this, this is counterintuitive, but spend the most money on the things that you hate doing the most. If you hate to cook, you better have real nice pans and knives, sister. Yeah. Because it makes the job 10 times easier. This is really awesome. It's so it's so interesting. Uh, this week specifically, I've been keeping an energy audit journal. Mm. 
which is very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I'm not writing resentments. I'm just noticing when my energy like changes yeah. and what is the cause. Yeah. But I love that this just goes a layer deeper and really takes a minute to first of all allow yourself to feel resentment yes. because let's face it, we all do. Yes, especially right now. Yeah, and then like really look at like all right, how can I actively take a step mm-hmm. to to help reduce this in my life yeah. so that I'm not just walking through my day hating everything. Yeah. When like the solution might be a new mug. Right. Like go to TJ Maxx, go to Home Goods, get a mug for 5.99 that feels good in your hand and move on. Okay, speaking of mugs, um <laughs> how do you I know I totally am going That was to such do a great it. segue. I'm going to do a pun right now. How do you fill your cup? No. Um, what <laughs> What are your favorite ways to restore yourself now and like relax yourself? And do you still, um, are you still an acupuncturist and do you still use acupuncture? So I'm, I don't have an open practice right now. Coaching and speaking, speaking especially is taking up the majority of my time and is much more profitable over a long-term period without being stuck to an office. One of the things that I realized burning out with acupuncture was not that I don't love acupuncture, not that I don't think that acupuncture is incredibly impactful because I've seen what it can do. It's especially impactful for people that have burnout, to be honest. There's so much good you can do with acupuncture for people who are burnt out. But I really don't like being attached to a physical location all day, every day. I, uh, I trust me. Yeah. I had a re- I had a retail shop before yeah. my online business and I was like, get me out of this. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to have to show up to this place every day. And it's not because I don't love my patient. It's not because I don't love acupuncture. It's just this is not actually a structure that feels good to me working. But it took me a long time to figure that out because I, I thought that if I didn't like it, that meant that I didn't like the medicine or I didn't like the people. I didn't realize that it could be about something else. So I'm not practicing at the moment and, and my coaching and speaking is um, – kind of overtaking that. And there was another question. Oh, just like, what do you do to restore yourself? Yeah. I am a reader. So I'm in school full time again right now. I'm getting another degree in biobehavioral health, which is basically the study of how stress affects our bodies from preconception until death. It's absolutely incredible. I love it. And so I'm doing a lot of reading on a day-to-day basis anyway, but when I need to relax, I jump into books. I, I love chiclet. I love stories about witches and vampires. I love thrillers. I'll go through periods of time where I just, I do a lot of reading. And if I'm not reading, I am outside at every possible moment. Nature is the biggest refueler for me in my personal life. Get me outside, put away my phone, don't talk to me for an hour and a half. Let me hike, let me row, let me golf, let me do whatever the hell, cross-country skiing. We did a, a lot of that a few years ago. It's harder where we are now because there's not as many trails, but um, get me outside and put my phone away. I was going to say, for me, it's all about, I mean, like, yeah, I walk every day, la-di-da-di-da, but my phone is playing a podcast all the time yeah. and it doesn't feel restorative. Right. However, when I break away in the afternoon and I'm like, I'm leaving this stupid thing behind, yes. it is the best. Yes. It's a world of difference. And I think that is really important, actually, to bring to people's attention. Like, how much of what you're doing to quote-unquote restore is not restorative. Yeah, because you have your phone in your hand and you're checking your email every five seconds while you're reading that novel. Like disconnecting and giving yourself that time and space away 
everything. <laughs> yes, agreed. And like eat a meal without reading anything, watching a TV show, like looking at your phone. Just how about you just this wild concept of like just sitting and eating? <laughs> we do do that. We have that nailed. <laughs> Good. It's so uh, important. And you digest differently. Your body takes in nutrients differently. Like it really matters, you know, and we don't do these really simple things. All right. Let's do some uh, wrap up questions. Okay. And then I want like a quick roundup kind of thing. And then I want you to share what you have for like listeners to get involved in, because I know that there are going to be people that identify themselves in what we were talking about and want to reach out. What is your favorite podcast? I love the Huberman podcast, which is he is Andrew Huberman is a neurologist and ophthalmologist at the University of Stanford. And he breaks down the research behind well-being into layman's terms. And Ooh, talks, I'm going to look that oh one up. Oh, my God. He talks to the most incredible people. And every time I sit there and I'm like, I know so much and I have so much to learn. You know, it's it just and I love to learn, so it's exciting. But it just it reminds me, it keeps me humble. It keeps me in touch with what's going on in science outside of what I'm doing in school, and inspires me to look into new things. So it's I, it's, I love it. What is the last thing that you Google searched? What is the? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll actually click on it and let you know, because who knows? <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is funny. How to use different desktops on my Mac? Because I've never actually done that. Honestly, it feels a little stressful for me. It's like, hard. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I don't think it's for me. But <laughs> okay, what is something that you wish everyone would deeply accept as truth? I want everybody to stop for a minute before this and let this sink in. Your value as a human is inherent simply because you exist. We're like so in line because this is something I'm working on just this week. Mm. It is crazy. I love that. Um, all right. And what book are you reading right now? I am reading. I'll open my Kindle and tell you because who knows? I don't look at the titles. I just keep I read sometimes like three books a week. I'm oh, I'm reading a book. It's so funny. It's called Death in the Sunshine. And it's about it's a retired detectives club thriller mystery. It's hysterical. <laughs> Sounds fun. All right. Uh, now give us all the good stuff, like how we can find and connect with you on, not that the other stuff wasn't good stuff, um, <laughs> how we can find and connect with you online, you know, what what you want listeners to do as far as like um, your podcast and joining your community and such. So the podcast you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's called Fried, the Burnout Podcast. The The episode art looks like a frying pan, so it's really easy to find. You'll see it. As soon as you see it, you'll know that that's the place. That is a really good place to start, but we also do free burnout coaching office hours four times a month for people. So if you have some questions, you're not sure what to do, you need to be involved, you can get on my newsletter by going to katedonovan.com slash newsletter dash office dash hours, um, and that will get you invites to those so that you are less alone, you can talk to other people that are going through it, and start this journey of recovery. Perfect. And I'll make sure, of course, all of that information is in the show notes. Thank you so much, Kate. This was great. And um, I, I, I just really 
think that this is something that we need to bring to light more, especially given the past two years. And so I just really appreciate you like starting to educate us in this. And I'm so glad always to have a little more space to share on it. So thank you for the invite. Thank you for allowing me the space. I know I'm a talker. Thank you for the pauses so that I could fill up as much space as possible. (laughs) Trust me, I love it. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.